All right, Emmaus, you sound incredible this morning. It's so good to be able to, to gather, to pray together, sing together, study scripture. This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26, but before we get there, so you can begin to make your way in your phone or your Bible to Matthew 26, here in just a couple of minutes, those verses will be on the screen behind me. Right now though, I want you to have a chance to watch a couple of missions videos. We're going to watch one, I'll say something, we'll watch a second. While that's happening, we're also going to take up our offering. If you have that guest card or prayer card ready, you can put that in there. If you're not ready, you'll have a way to submit that at the end of the service. So if you're helping with the offering, now's your time to do that. As those plates are going around, watch this first video here for a moment. I want to personally invite you to come to our Generation Y OBU Youth Apologetics Conference. You know, we live in a very confusing world and there are a lot of voices out there. And one of the things that we as followers of Jesus need to learn is how to relationally and rationally express our faith in a confused and confusing world. And that's what this conference is all about. So if you're looking to uh, have a one-day conference that's affordably priced, that will help equip and inspire your faith, this is the conference for you. So I want to see you here on OBU's campus on March 7th. Bring your youth group, bring your friends. We'll see you there then. All right, teenagers, this is one of the best apologetics events you could get to this year. So next, not next Saturday, this coming Saturday, Jaron is going to take a group to OBU for this apologetics conference. If you are interested in being a part of that, he will be up here after the service. Connect with him. He'll give you details. If you're a teenager and you want to know more about how do I speak about my faith to the world around me, this is an incredible event. Bring your friends to be a part of this. If you're an adult and you say, I would really like to be a part of that, I bet Jaron could find you a spot to, to go. You can go as a volunteer. Can we find him a spot? Okay, yeah. So if you're an, an adult and you say, you know what, I don't know much about how to defend my faith. I don't know much about how to speak about faith in a confusing world. Dr. Thomas, who is president at Oklahoma Baptist University and others are going to be a part of this. It's an incredible lineup for this conference. And so I hope, hope you can take part of that. We want you to be a part of that coming up this Saturday. Also, just for a moment, watch this video from Panama that uh, one of our guys that we interacted with there made for us real quick. All right, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Jose, and we are in Centro Familiar Cristiano, uh, building a little roof for a place to the kids can have uh, teachings and dynamics and some meetings so they can have uh, more about the, the gospel and some Bible stories. So come and join us. And be part of this movement. So that was, uh, that was Jose, uh, who Jim and I had a chance to meet. His church from Panama City had come on a mission trip to David, Panama, where the church we partnered with was, uh, was happening. And so they brought a group of teenagers from Panama City and young adults to, to be a part of this. Jose is an incredible guy. He translates. He came to faith in Christ when he was 14 years old because a friend invited him to come to church and said, hey, I want you to come with me. And Jose, when he was 14, became a follower of Jesus, and he's been able to lead trips and, and be a part of what's going on. Another Jose that we met on the trip there, he is, goes to a Greek-speaking high school. They're learning modern Greek. 
He obviously speaks Spanish as his heart language, and he's fluent in English and French. And I just turned around from the conversation and walked the other way because I felt so bad about my life. And if students, kids, if you can learn another language, by all means, go for it. God will use that in incredible ways. This guy is fluent in four languages, and I just felt about that tall at the end of that, that conversation. But it was amazing uh, how the Lord was at work. And after I read these verses and pray for us, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that mission trip, and it'll kind of lead into some things we're talking about. So Matthew chapter 26, I failed to have it marked well in my, my Bible, but uh, I want to read just a few verses as we get started, 31 through 36, and then we're going to cover the remainder, uh, well, down through at least 46 here in just a few minutes. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 26. Verse 31, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Let's pray for a moment together. Father, we realize that this passage that we're reading this morning, that we're looking at, is one that is so foundational to to our understanding of Easter, Jesus crying out in the Garden of Gethsemane, what it means that he died in our place, what it looks like for us to respond to that. God, I pray that this morning, that for the next few minutes, that our hearts would be engaged, that our minds would be engaged. God, that we would hear from your word. God, we come here needing to know what it looks like to live for you, what it looks like to worship you and to respond to Christ's work on the cross. And so God, I pray that that would be our focus and that you would speak to us through your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So this last week, Jim and I had a chance to go down to Panama and prepare for some trips that are coming up this summer and then into next year with one of our, our partner uh, churches that we're connected with. And so it was good being with Jim when you travel a place like that, you really wish your family was with you, but Jim was a good brother uh, to have along. It was a, it was a fun trip to, to take. Now, if you ask me on a vacation, I'm going to take the mountains over the ocean every time. Uh, if you're just talking about vacation, I'm taking the mountains over the ocean. If you love the beach and the ocean, that's, that's wonderful. It's great to go there. I have a very unhealthy fear of water I can't see into, so lakes, Oceans, I don't do particularly well with, uh, but you send me to the mountains, that's awesome. Which means I've never been on a cruise before. Um, never been on a cruise. Maybe one day, if I can force myself onto the boat, we'll be able to, uh, to do that as, as a family. When we lived in New Orleans, we would take our kids down to the port just so they could see the big boats, the big cruise boats when, when they came in. Now, you guys tell me about the Alaska cruise. I know several of you have been on that one. I think that would be the one that I want to... Uh, would want to check out. So, never been on a cruise, but kind of curious about it. You can tell me about it. I say that to say, 
if you love cruises, don't let what I'm going to say next be offensive to you. If you have a cruise plan, then, then go on it. But here's a question we need to think about this morning. It's at the top of your notes. If you've got a note sheet, it's at the top. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen behind me. Here's the question we have to think about, okay? Is church, when we think about being the church, is church more like a cruise ship or a battleship? When we think about who we are, and we think about what God has called us to, is it more like a cruise ship, or is it more like a battleship? And you can say, ah, oh, Owen, it's neither one of those, but go, go with me on this for a little bit. I, I first heard this question from the guys down at Watermark Community Church in Dallas that I think really highly of. I know they didn't make it up. It's been around for a long time. But it's a question we really need to think about. Because if you, when you think about church, if you primarily, primarily have a cruise ship mentality, it's about how can I be served? Is this comfortable? Are my needs being met? Is it easy? Is it, that's, that's the cruise ship mentality. The battleship mentality is we have a mission, and it's a mission that requires every one of us, and it's a mission that requires sacrifice and commitment and suffering, and even in times of peace, we're constantly preparing, we're constantly training. And so we have to think together. When I think about Emmaus, or if you're not a part of Emmaus, you're part of another church, when I think about being committed to the church, is my experience more like, or is my mindset more like a cruise ship mindset, or do I have a battleship mentality when it comes to this? And just to reduce any awkwardness, I, I'm not saying this about Emmaus. This is not where I transfer and say, we're a cruise ship church, and we need to become a battleship church. If any fingers are being pointed, they're all at me, okay? So hear me clearly. This is not me guilting you into canceling your cruise. This is not me saying bad things about Emmaus. This is when we look into God's word this morning, we have to take that question seriously. Because I have no desire, and neither do you, to just be a part of a cruise, we're not here to have our needs met, for this to be comfortable, for this to be easy, for us to just say, ah, let's just go on about this as long as Owen and the leaders do their job and it's not too hard for me. We're not here for that. And I don't believe that you're here for that. We believe that God has a mission for us to be a part of, and it's going to be difficult at times. And we're here to serve, not to be served. We're here to say, no, we're all in on this because we believe that Jesus is worthy. The question is, what makes the difference? What determines I have a cruise ship mentality versus a battleship mentality? What makes the difference? I think one of the main differences is found in these verses that we're looking at this morning, and it's a call to contending prayer. It's a call to say, no, I am in this, in this battle, dependent upon the Lord. And the way I'm going to know if I'm doing this is if my life is characterized by what we see in the ministry of Jesus this morning. So let's start. We're going to start in verse 31, and we're going to walk through this. Part of this is, how does this impact my own life? But before we even get to that, we have to think, what has Jesus done for us to lead us in this direction? Verse 31, let's go through this. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. How does he know this is going to be the case? Well, it says, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. 
Now, this is one of the fun parts about studying all the way through a book like we've done with the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew loves this phrasing, for it is written. You find this written a lot of times where all that God has said in the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament, what they would have called the Scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, all that has been written is pointing ahead to what has come. Jesus has a firm trust in God's Word. He understands that what is happening has been planned by God, that he is going to face betrayal, that he is going to face the cross, but he also understands beyond the cross, because in verse 32, he can say, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. All throughout the pages of the Bible, you have this pattern of suffering and then glory, difficulty and then hope. All this pattern is going there, and Jesus has hope in the midst of what he's facing because he knows God's word. He has a firm and humble trust in God's word. But look at the opposite of that in Peter's life. Look at verse 33. Verse 33, Peter answered him. And in the New Testament, Peter gets in trouble for this all the time where he speaks and doesn't think about the implications of it. Peter answered him, though they all fall away, Because of you, I will never fall away. But Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples mumbled the same. Well, your Bible doesn't say mumbled, but you get the feeling. They're like, yeah, yeah, whatever Peter said. That's that's true for us. Um, Peter has a pride here where he has forgotten this pattern of suffering and then glory. Peter has a pride here that says, that's not going to happen to me. You know how to get yourself in trouble, right? How to get yourself in trouble is to say, I will never X and fill in the blank. Amanda, when she was in college, she spent a couple of years working at a camp in Tyler, Texas called Pine Cove. Um, It's a large Christian camp there in northeast part of Texas and Tyler and uh, one of the, her mentors there at Pine Cove, a big lesson that they taught the college students who came there to work at the camp, they taught them, be very careful of ever saying that you are above a particular sin or a particular temptation will never come into your life. Because the moment you say, I'll never have an affair, or the moment you'll say, I'll never rebel against my parents, or the moment you say, I'll... You know what you're doing right at that point. We're, at that point, we are setting ourselves up to face some pretty serious temptation because the moment we say, I'm above that, we open ourselves up to that temptation. We open ourselves up. And so instead of that, our mentality is, no, God, I trust your word. And I need your help every single day. And I am never going to say, I will never. I'm going to say, my hope is in Christ. <laughs> and humbly, every day, I turn to his word saying, I need his word in my heart so that I will not sin against him. Here's the first call to contending prayer. Here's the first thing we need to remember this morning. The first thing we need to remember this morning is a humble trust in God's word. There's a pattern of suffering and in glory. There's no room in this for personal pride. What will make us, as a church, what will make us have a battleship mentality when we have a humble trust in God's word? God, I believe your word. I believe your plans. You're in charge, not me. I trust you. What will cause a cruise ship mentality? A bunch of individuals running around with personal pride thinking that, oh, that will never happen to us. 
if we sit here and say, there's no way Emmaus would ever turn into a cruise ship style church, let's none of us lose the reality that that could happen quickly. So we come saying every week, God, we are humbly dependent on your word. We're going to do that together. Look what happens next. Verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. This is the famous Garden of Gethsemane that you may have heard about from the Holy Week experience of Jesus leading up to the cross where his betrayal will happen. This idea, though, when you look at other places, this is a place that Jesus regularly went with his disciples. They had been there before. Jesus' ministry, especially when you read through the Gospel of Mark, but you find it in all the Gospels, Jesus' ministry was characterized by regularly getting away to pray. How do we stay on task with the mission that Jesus has given us? We make it part of our lives that we are regularly getting away to pray. Here's the thing. When a crisis comes in life, we can always call out to the Lord. But when a crisis comes in in your life, you don't want to have the mentality that says, God, I know I don't do this very often, and and I don't speak to you very often, but I really need you now. If at all possible, when a crisis comes into our life, we want to have a pattern built into our life of where we are regularly getting away to pray. Our mentality is to get away and pray because when those times of urgency and crisis comes, we're ready to respond. We're ready to do this. Now, what does it look like to regularly get away and pray, that you have this habit built into your life? immediately, immediately we go to, well, how long am I supposed to pray? And, and you don't understand, I'm at home with little kids. There's no getting away unless I lock myself in the bathroom, and that's dangerous after a while that, you know, what's going to happen in the house? Yet, everybody's situation is different. I, I completely understand that. What we want to do is we want to build into our life this discipline of, Lord, I'm constantly coming before you in prayer. You are where I turn. I have this discipline, for lack of a better word, built into my life so that when those times of urgency and crisis comes, I know where I can turn. What will make us a battleship church? When we are made up of people who regularly and continuously pray, what will keep us focused? Prayer. What will turn us into a cruise ship when we say, ah, you know what? Prayer's okay for those people that are good at that, but that's just not me. We need the Lord. In your life, do you regularly get away for times of prayer? Do you have that built into your life? And if not, what does it look like to begin that? What does it look like to go in that direction? This week, I'm going to start sending out a series of emails leading up to Easter, just just a very, very, very short daily devotion. If you already have something that you do on a daily basis, don't worry about these emails. You don't have to. But if, if you don't have a time that you get away to pray, you don't have something to guide your prayer time, I hope these will be encouragement. I hope they'll be a help to you as they begin to come out this week. All right, number three, let's look. So the first thing, humble trust in God's word. Second thing, regular discipline of prayer. Next, look what Jesus does in verse 37. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Now Jesus 
had taken these three with him before. This was his inner circle. He had taken them. They were a part of what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's taken them away before. But what's interesting here is that when Jesus comes to a time of suffering and crisis in his life, he doesn't go into it alone. We need people around us to pray for us. One of the most important things you can have in your life is a group of people that you turn to in time of need to say, I need you to pray with me. I need you to pray for me. The reason that when you come to Emmaus and you go to our membership class and you begin to think about what does it look like to get connected, one of the things we ask all members to do is to be connected to another group of people here in the church. So a Sunday school class, a small group Bible study, a men's ministry, a women's ministry, that you have people in your life that you can get away and pray with. People in your life that you can call at 2 a.m. and they are there for you. They are there to pray for you. You do not want to find yourself in a time of crisis and think, who do I call? Where, Where do I turn in a time like this? You've got people in your life so that when you get away, you're praying together. And I know I've said this before and I'm going to keep saying it again and again and again. When you come onto this campus, when you're in this building, when we've gathered together for worship, One of the best things that you can do is when you see someone and you know they're going through something, don't say, hey, I'll pray for you, because guess what happens? We have really good intentions when we say that, but inevitably we forget. Um, I would hate to know as a pastor how many times I said, oh yeah, I'll pray for you, and then five (laughs) seconds later, who was that? What, what, What were you talking about? Instead of saying, hey, I'll pray for you, just pray for somebody. Just right there in the hallway where you interact with them, make it part of who we are as a people that we want to get away and we want to pray for one another. We want to make that a part of who we are as a church. And so what do you see here with Jesus? You see him in this time of need getting away to pray with others, making that a a part of what he's doing as uh, as his ministry. One other thing about this, one other thing about this. When we get together for our membership uh, information meeting that happens next Sunday morning, 9.15. When we get together, we have that meeting. It says it starts at 9.15, but usually it's about 9.30 by the time we get started, and that's when I'm able to throw in my good joke about at Emmaus, it says Sunday school starts at 9.15, but let's be honest, it really starts about 9.30 uh, because most of our Sunday school classes, unless you're a part of our amazing older adult class that meets over here in the choir room, who always starts on time because they've been awake since 4.30 in the morning, um, that always starts on time. One of our adults a couple of weeks ago, I met him out here. He's like, I've already, I've already had a nap this morning. I've already read the paper. So they always start on time. The rest of the Sunday school class, classes are kind of late. So next week, Time Change Sunday, we're also going to make a recommitment at Emmaus that, hey, we're going to start on time. And, and really, it's not as big a deal that we start on time it's more that we're going to ask our classes, hey, when 10.15 stops, we're going to cut out of, of Sunday school at 10.15. Here's the reason. 10.15 to 10.30 and 11.45 to noon after the service is over, those two periods, 10.15 to 10.30, 11.45 to noon, that is some of the most important ministry that happens. Because you can sit there and you can listen to me or you can participate in these songs But what really makes the difference spiritually in your life is the connections you have to God's people. The times you have to talk, 
the times you have to laugh, the times you have to pray together. And we're going to say we want to make a big deal about that. We want to emphasize what that looks like for us as the church. So that's number three, praying with others. Number four, the second half of that verse. What happens there to Jesus? He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even unto death. Remain here and watch with me. What does it look like to be a part of a battleship mentality church? It means we pray with a depth of passion and emotion that goes beyond what most of us think about when we think about prayer. What does it look like to cry out to the Lord? If you find yourself experiencing suffering around you or suffering in your life, and you find yourself crying out, even yelling out to the Lord, just confused, how long, Lord, is this going to continue to happen? Those are good biblical prayers. You begin to look at the book of Psalms, and you see the way that the psalmist cries out to the Lord. You see Romans chapter 8, and sometimes we don't even know what words to say. We just find ourselves groaning, asking that God's Spirit would pray with us and for us. This is the type of emotion that is tied into this prayer. What we don't want to do is just pray in such a way that it's a stock prayer, we go on, life goes on. When we're talking about prayer at this point, we're talking about, no, Lord, I need you to work. I need you to do what only you can do for your glory, and we pray with emotion. One of the things I thought about in my own life this last week is when was the last time I prayed like this? When was the last time that my prayers were characterized by deep emotion, by crying out to the Lord by what is happening? Now, some of you in the last month have experienced the type of anguish and difficulty in life that you said, no, that actually came really really naturally. I found myself praying in that way. But I think sometimes, hear me out on this, because this could sound very preachery, and I don't, I don't mean it, so hear me out on this. Sometimes I think we don't pray very much because the things we are praying about just don't seem like that big of a deal. It's been a long time since we prayed about something that really seemed to, to require something of us, to require some emotion, pouring out our hearts. When we pray like that, you don't have to force yourself to find time to pray, pray because it's just coming out of you at all times. Let's see what happens next in the story. 39. Going a little farther, he fell on his face, Jesus did, and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Okay, there's so much good theology going on in this verse. In this verse right here, here's something that stands out to me. When I see the phrase, my father, and I see the, phrase, the word cup, or I see especially the phrase, as you will, what Jesus is doing is he is displaying a type of prayer that matches what we might call the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6. That prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples, probably a better way to talk about it is the model prayer where the disciple is asked to be taught, and Jesus teaches them, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. That type of language is the exact language that Jesus is using here. Jesus is able to pray like this because he already had that foundation in place. What will help you pray? If you struggle knowing how do I pray, when do I pray? What does this look like? What will make the difference? Good theology and people who model it for you. 
If you want to learn about prayer, learn more about who God is and how he works in the world, and get around people who pray. The thing that will help you is when someone else is saying, this is how I do it. This is what it looks like in my life. My grandfather, um, so I grew up in a, a small rural area in southwest Oklahoma, and we would go to my grandparents' house for lunch almost every Sunday after, after church. So I know many of you still have that practice, or that was your practice for a long time. Church was finished. They went to the Methodist church, which, funny enough, always got out way earlier than the Baptist church. We never knew why that happened, but the Methodist church was always out early, and so Grandma would have lunch ready by the time we got there. We would get there, and my grandfather... No kidding, almost every week for the first 18 years of my life, I heard the same exact prayer because he would pray the same prayer, same phrases every week for 18 years of my life. I heard that. You know what that does to you? You start to think about those phrases when you pray. How you pray impacts the people around you. Parents, grandparents, you model for your kids and your grandkids what prayer looks like. One of the coolest things that happens in our kids' Sunday school classes is our kids learn to pray. When they gather in those Sunday school classes and they have teachers that aren't just making up games for them, they're teaching them the word and they're teaching them how to pray. What will help you pray when you have models and you have a good foundation? If you struggle in prayer, if you say, I have no idea what to, what to do, I don't know what words to say, I don't know where to start, the best thing you could do this week is just reach out. Now, this requires a lot of humility. It might cause an awkward conversation. The best thing you could do this week is just to reach out to somebody you know and say, hey, could you teach me how you pray? Could you teach me? Could you show me what this looks like in your life? That's what God's called us to, to have models and to have this base of, this base of theology where Jesus says, I know my Father, and I know his will is good. And this cup that he is talking about, it's not just physical suffering. When you look at the Old Testament, this is the cup of God's wrath being poured out upon sin. And Jesus is going to take this. And the reason he's going to take this is because he knows this is the only path that ultimately leads to salvation. That he would love if it could come another way, but he knows it's going to happen in this way, and he's going to stand in our place. That type of theology, that type of trust in God will lead us to pray. Look what happens next. So he came in verse 40, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. <laughs> and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Okay, who has not fallen asleep in prayer <laughs> at some time? So you're laying there in bed or you're at bed and you're like, okay, I'm really going to commit to prayer. And you start to pray and then you wake up and think, oh no, that did, not, that did not go at all the way that I planned. But hey, if you're going to fall asleep doing something, falling asleep praying is probably a good option of, of all, the, all the options imaginable. Many of you are amazing at praying during my sermon. So just incredible church of prayer uh, while I preach. I'm always amazed. Uh, heads bowed, eyes closed. It's really, no, no, you're amazing. Thank you for staying, staying engaged. Verse 41, look at what Jesus says in verse 41. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This idea of how contending battleship prayer will happen when our spiritual eyes are open. Spiritual alertness to what's happening in the world around you will drive you to pray. 
how does this happen? How, how are your eyes open to the world in such a way you say, my only response is to cry out to the Lord in prayer? Well, crisis, difficulty, uh, something like that happening will, will prompt this in your life in a way maybe you haven't seen before. Another phrase that I really like is the phrase holy discontent. Let me talk you through this just for a minute. Maybe it'll help make sense of, what, of what's going on here. Sometimes in your Christian life, or sometimes just as you look around at the world, you get this feeling about your own life, or you get this feeling about church or about the world, where you just have a deep sense of, there's got to be more to it than this. This cannot be all that God has for me. This cannot be all that God has for, for our church. And what you get is, is it borders right on frustration or, or anger, but it's this holy discontent with your life where you say, God, I'm not living for you the way I should. And our church is not all that it should be. And this world is a mess, but you have incredible plans. And, and it begins to boil up within you. And, and sometimes it can even come over. You find yourself getting, getting frustrated with people around you, and, and it leads off in a dangerous way. But there's a healthy, hear me out, Emmaus, there is a healthy sense of holy discontent when you say, God, I need you to work. And I'm not going to live my life or give my life to a cruise ship mentality. I believe that you have called us to a mission that has eternal consequences, and I'm going to fight. I'm going to be a part of that. And it begins to, to create, you know that good form of competitiveness, not the type that goes off in the wrong way, but that, that healthy sense of competition? Many of you are very competitive. Channel that in a spiritual way of, God, I know you have great things, and I want to be a part of that. And then sometimes it just surprises you. You just say, God, I see you doing something here, and I want to be a part of it, and, and I want my eyes to be open. I don't want to sleepwalk through life. God, help us that we don't sleepwalk through life, that our eyes are open to what he's doing, and we want to be a part of that. Next, next lesson here, 42. For the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came, verse 43, and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Be encouraged by that little phrase, saying the same words again. Sometimes we don't pray because we think, I don't know what to say, I don't have anything else to say. Well, just say the same thing again. Just continue to call out to the Lord. Contending battleship prayer requires endurance. It's probably not going to happen. You're not going to see the change the first time you pray or the second time. It's something we continue to do or continue to call out to the Lord. What's going to make the difference in Emmaus? What keeps us focused? It's the boring, simple stuff done time after time after time to the point that it no longer becomes boring. It becomes, this is the mission. This is what God has called us to. It requires endurance when we're talking about the spiritual life. Look at the next verse. Verse 45, then he came to the disciples and said, sleep and take your rest later on. See the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayer is at hand. Contending battleship prayer on mission we pray and then it drives our action. We pray and it drives faith, courageous faith that says, I prayed and now God has sent me out. 
sometimes people will feel like, let me just be honest with you, sometimes prayer for me, I struggle because I want to be doing something. And when you're praying, it doesn't feel like you're doing anything. Prayer doesn't always feel productive. It doesn't, it doesn't fit well on a task list. But remember, prayer is the work. And when you do that work, it drives a life of faith. It drives a life of courage. Jesus prays, and then he walks right into the middle of what God is leading him to do. So for us, as a church, for you and your family, for you where you sit individually, cruise ship mentality, I don't think anybody here, you wouldn't be here honestly this morning if, if, that, if that was what you felt called to. Battleship mentality, yeah, God, you are calling us to something of your kingdom, to see the spread of the gospel. How do we get there? We get there through contending prayer. Say, I'm in the game. I want to see God work for his glory. God, do these type of things in my life. Why? How is this possible? Look at this last slide. How is this type of life, how is this type of church possible? Remember, right at the middle of this Gethsemane story is Jesus praying that this cup would be taken away. And that cup is God's wrath against sin that Jesus took. He died in our place for us. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we understand what Jesus has done for us, when we understand that he died in our place, he took the penalty and the power of sin upon himself, he, he took what we deserved so that we would have life, it changed everything, changes everything about what we live for. And so we're going to reject that mentality, we're going to embrace God's salvation and his church and his mission, and we're going to pray diligently, and we're going to pray in faith, God, we want to see you move, and we trust you, and we are giving ourselves to you. One of the communities there around David, Panama, is uh, a place that this church that we're working with is already starting to plant other churches. It's incredible. One of the things, one of the reasons we love this particular church is from the time that they've started, they've been thinking about how can we start other churches in surrounding communities. And so they're starting a church in this little community that's about maybe 10 to 15 minutes away. And they took us there, and they drove us down the main street of the community, maybe a 1,000 people in, in this little area. They drove us down this street, and they pointed to one house, and they said, this house in particular, the kids started coming to Bible club. Think about around here, kids coming to a vacation Bible school or coming to Sunday school. The kids in this house started coming to, to Bible club weekly, and through them coming, the mom became a Christian. Not the dad at this point, but the mom became a Christian. Then this house, they started hosting prayer meetings for the church in their house. The dad was not a Christian, but he said, whatever God's doing in my family, I want to be a part of that. And so they started to host a prayer meeting in their house. Through hosting this prayer meeting in the house, now this dad, who's a leader in the community, has come to faith in Christ. So you have the kids, you have the mom, you have a church prayer meeting happening in this little house, and now you have the dad who has come to faith in Christ, and they are praying that this dad will be raised up to be one of the key leaders in the church. How did it happen? It happened through prayer, and it happened through this dad seeing the gospel at work in his family, and it happened through this dad seeing prayer on a weekly basis. 
not a Christian, but he participated and hosted these prayer meetings in his house. When God's people pray, the gospel spreads. When God's people pray, we stay focused on what matters most. When God's people pray, we say, God, how would you use my house? How would you use my family? How would you use my kids? How would you use my job? God, what are you doing in the world, and what are you calling me to do? And I want to be part of that. So here's what we're going to do at the end of our service. It would be a very bad thing to talk this much about prayer and, and not pray. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a time to pray together here at the end of the service. I'm going to lead us through a couple of stages of that. David's going to play for us some on the piano in the background, which in and of itself is its own amazing worship experience. But he's going to pray for us. Uh, he's going to play for us while, while we pray. I want to guide you through some different times of prayer. And then after we pray, we'll be dismissed. If you have questions about Christianity, if you have questions about God's work in your life, if you need to talk to someone, after I dismiss us, we stay right up here at the front. We would be honored to pray with you personally. We'd be honored to talk to you about God's work in your life. If you need to be baptized, if it's been a long time since you've been in church and you just need to talk to somebody, we'll stay up here as long as we need to afterward. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? We're going to do this through th several stages, so let's not get in a hurry at this time. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I know during a time like this with, with our kids being in here, if you need to step out with your kids, I completely understand that. Um, we're so thankful you're here with your family. God, we begin right now a time of prayer. God, we pray that you would guard our hearts, guard our church from this cruise ship mentality, this idea that we're just here to be served and be comfortable and make, th make sure things match what we want. God, we don't want to go through life that way, and, and I don't believe anybody here does, but it's a temptation. God, we, we fight it constantly. God, you've called us to so much more. God, thank you for the other churches in our community that are gathered together this morning. God, thank you for the partnerships and the connections we have. God, we celebrate the work you're doing in those churches. God, we thank you for our friends that are gathered in Panama and in Calgary this morning. Our friends are gathered in secret places in the Middle East this morning. God, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. And so we begin praying this morning, God, remembering what Jesus did for us. Emmaus, as you're sitting there praying, would you thank God for his work in your life? Would you remember the time that, that you trusted in Christ, the time that, that you were baptized, the time you understood that Jesus took your sins, that he took your place? Just thank him for that. We don't want to leave this morning and think, oh, I should pray better. Like, that's the point of the message. Our hope is because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So remember that. Think about the time that he saved you. Think about the time that you understood what he had done for you and you trusted him and you experienced that salvation. And if you're here this morning and you never trusted in Jesus for salvation, you don't know what it is to experience the freedom from sin, you're unsure about facing death, 
I pray this morning that you would know that Jesus died for you. He died to take on your sin, and he rose again to defeat the power of death. I pray that you would trust in him this morning. God, we pray right now as a church. God, we pray that you would make us a church that prays together. And God, that you would send us out with courage. We don't want our church to be defined by what happens in this building or what happens on Sunday morning. This is important. But God, you do this work to send us out. So God, help us to be a church that goes out. Help us to be a church that works together where all of us are participating in the mission you've given us. God, we pray that you would do that work. Emmaus, right now as we continue in a, in a spirit of prayer, let me invite you to do this. Let me invite you together with your family who might be here this morning, or if you have friends around you right now, that you would get with those friends and just spend a little bit of time praying together. If you don't feel comfortable praying out loud, maybe there's one person in your family or your friend group that would pray with you. Take some time right now, Emmaus. If you need to move, uh, to find friends here this morning or your family sitting in different areas. Let's do this right now as David is continuing to play. Let's gather in groups. Let's pray together right now as a church.